Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, tonight we're going to look in Daniel chapter 11. I first titled it The Antichrist, but I think I'm going to change the title to The Final Battle. Because it's going to take us to the final battle in Scripture, and which is in the future of planet Earth. Now, remember, we've been looking at characters now quite a bit. Antiochus, Epiphanes IV is one character. And we've been looking at the Antichrist as another big character throughout the book of Daniel. I shouldn't say characters. These are real historical people. Antiochus, Epiphanes from the past. The Antichrist is in our future. Antiochus Epiphanes is a picture and type of the Antichrist to come. And we left off last week where Antiochus, he was in Egypt. He went there to conquer it, to try to take it, and he was humiliated. Do you remember that? Because the ships from Kittim were there, and that's this upstart nation of people called the Romans, the Roman Empire. And he's humiliated there because they said, either you fight or you leave right now in that circle. And he left. And so, remember, angry people in the present aren't angry at people in the present. They're angry at people in the what? In the past. And that's the way you figure out where your anger is coming from. And if you resolve that, you can resolve all this. And nobody has to suffer in your presence, okay? Any amens on that right there? So he's angry with them because they've humiliated him. He's not one there. And so he's coming back. He's going to take it out on the first people he runs into, and that is the Jews. And so with that said, tonight we're going to look at him again, and then Daniel's going to flip us into the end times with the Antichrist, and then we're going to go into these final battles that the Antichrist will be uh, experiencing, and you'll see. It'll be a lot of fun, I guarantee you. Amen? Okay, so here we go. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31 is where we pick up, and we're picking up with the Antichus Epiphanes IV again. It says... Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. And we've heard that word before, have we not? So let's rehearse now, because this is, he's taken us again through this. So the Antiochus Epiphanes, real-life historical figure, he desecrates the sanctuary, He eliminates the regular sacrifice and he sets up the abomination of desolation, which there will be two. There's one in his time and there'll be one in the future of planet Earth. So history now, because he's prophesying, Daniel's doing this prophecy around um, around 538 BC, somewhere in there, 536, somewhere in there. And this will happen, what he's talking about here, will happen about 400 years, uh, 300 years, 400 years in the future in 168 uh, B.C. It really does happen. And in history, we know it happened. So here's what he does. When he gets back there, he gets to, the, to Israel, he takes over the temple. We know that already. He outlaws all the Jewish observances He outlaws all the things that they do, and basically, and it's punishable by death. In other words, you can't go to church, you can't have church, there is no such thing as church anymore, and this is what this guy's doing. And there have been dictators in the past that have done that in different nations, amen? 
I think I was telling, maybe I didn't, but if I did, I didn't. I was talking to one of our missionaries that we support. If you ever notice the big map on the wall out in the lobby, those are missionaries that we send money to every month, that we support every month all over the world. These, those are the missionaries. One of them are in China, and they've started the, the Samuelsons. They started like, I think up to now, uh, their big deal is they start, they've done 16, 17 uh, teen challenges in China right now. Now, if you don't know what a teen challenge is, there's one in Riverside. There, and it's not just, it started with teenagers, with David Wilkerson, the late great David Wilkerson, but it, it's for grown-ups, it's men and it's women, and it's to get people off drugs, and it's what it's all about. So it's got one of the highest success rates in the country because it's all scripturally based. Well, they've started them in China because there's so much alcoholism and drug addiction is rampant in China, rampant. And so they've started these, and then as he met with me, he came to see me about, about a month ago, and he was telling me the difference between state-run church and with the underground church. He said the state-run church, that if I was to preach a message, I would have to turn my message in to the authorities. They'd have to look it over, okay it, make sure I've got some communist stuff in that message that I'm preaching. Can you imagine that? So it's better to go to the underground church, but to go to the underground church, he says, they have to vet you very well because they want to make sure that the wrong people don't come in there because it's an underground church, but you get to actually preach the actual scriptures. So, um, so here we're finding this kind of thing going on with the Antichrist Epiphany. So he gets in there and he also slaughters a pig in the altar. Can you imagine doing that to the altar of God? He brings in a statue of Zeus. He puts it in, not in the holy place, but in the holiest of holies where they keep the Ark of the Covenant. So he gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So now, once this has all happened, and of course it's just a mess there, watch verse 32, because somebody's not going to stand for it. Verse 32. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Now, there are people that when this happens, they say, oh no, not on our watch. The people that know their God, they're going to stand up. And these are who we know as the Maccabees, the Maccabeans. They rise up and they fight back and they cause a revolt and the freedom fighters and the whole shot. And for three years, they battle Antiochus Epiphanes and his soldiers, these, these Syrians, they battle and they battle and they battle and they fight. And then finally, or let me read on before I get to it. Uh, look at verse 33 and 34. It says, those, um, those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. So there's going to be a lot of carnage. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Now, here's what happens. When he comes in there, and he overtakes a temple, and there's battles and things going on, he kills 80,000 Jews in that frame. He takes 40 more thousand Jews captive. He takes 40 more thousand Jews, and he sells them off as slaves. So he does a lot of damage, this Antiochus Epiphanes. He takes all the gold, basically, as much as he get out of that temple, which would be the equivalent of about two to three billion dollars today in money. So he, he takes, he's taken all this stuff from them. Well, these Maccabeans, 
They're not going to stand for it. And so they fight, and they fight. And for three years, they fight, and they fight. And finally, they win, and they conquer, and they drive these, these guys out. They take their temple back. And it, coincidentally, they rededicate the temple on the exact day of the year, three days later from when it was taken and it was uh, desecrated, December 25th. And on December 25th, they rededicate the temple, and that's what we know now as Hanukkah. We've talked about this in here multiple times now. It's Hanukkah, which means dedication. And that's where you get Hanukkah from, from that um, in 168 B.C. to 165, that thing that happened in history. Now, this will not be the end of Jewish persecution. As you and I sitting here in 2023, we look back in time, we look back in history, and we know they've gone through a lot, right? And it's not even done. It's not even done. So let's read what's going to happen now. Verse 35. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the, what's the two words? End time. Now we're seeing some here. Because it is still to come at the appointed time. So trouble will follow the Jews throughout the future, and we know as history, but now Daniel, in this vision, that he's been given the interpretation from the angel, now everything shifts. This is not Antiochus anymore he's going to talk about from here. This is the Antichrist he's going to talk about. Because now we shift to the end time. Because he gives the key statement right there. So Antiochus fades out. Antichrist steps in. In this vision right here. So let's look at some descriptions. Let's, let me read 36 to 39. And then I got a bunch of bullets in here for you to fill in. Then the king will do as he pleases. And he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods and he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women nor will he show regard for any other god for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. Verse 39. He will take action against the strongest fortresses with help of a foreign God. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause him to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. Okay, here we go. You ready? First bullet point. He will declare himself to be God. Now, we know that. We've said that before. We have filled in bullet points before in that. But he will. It says in those verses, he will exalt himself above every God. Now, here's where we have a distinction between Antiochus and the Antichrist. Antiochus, what he did was he didn't eliminate the other gods. He just made himself one of the many gods. Antichrist, when he comes along, oh no, there'll be no other gods. He's going to be the god. Because remember, he is the son of Satan, and he will want to divert worship to one person only, and that is Satan. So now you see 
this distinction. Now, the next one, bullet point, this is a stretch, but I needed to put it in there, and I will explain it. He might be Jewish. The Antichrist might be Jewish. Has anyone ever heard that before? Yeah, not most people have ever heard it. It's, it's a stretch. I'm going to tell you right now. Don't go out and say, well, Jim said it's absolutely, no, no, don't, don't say that. Okay. Now, in verse 37, here's where I'm going to tell you where they take it from. He will show no regard for the gods of his, of his father. That's an interesting statement right there. So since this is a descendant event, or like Antiochus, they, they think he's going to be Syrian, possibly Jew, because gods of his fathers, his fathers talking about the Jews possibly, so he's got to be Jewish, and if he's like Antiochus, he would be Syrian and he'd be Jewish. He'd be those two things right there. That's a stretch. It's possible. Even Isaiah, though, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head. And I think Stevie asked me about this one time. This talks about the Syrian, meaning like the Antichrist. It's an interesting verse uh, in, in Isaiah. But I'll leave it at that. You want to study that later. But that's a speculation on that one. The speculations even get more interesting. The next bullet point is this. He will show no regard for the Messiah. Okay, now, where we take this from is in verse, um, where he says, uh, verse 37, he will show no regard, and then jumps a little bit, for the desire of women. Okay. Why would I put that with the statement, he will show no regard for the Messiah? And here's the way the scholars look at it. This would connect back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When Adam and Eve sin, there's a lot of aftermath in that chapter. But then it takes us to God's solution to the problem of our fallen nature. God instantly puts a plan into action. And it begins in verse 15 of Genesis 3, right after the fall. It's the seed of the woman. Remember that statement? The Messiah will come to the seed of the woman. So, of the woman. Here it says he'll show no regard for the desire of women. So, the idea goes like this. That ladies, let's say you're a Jewish woman. And you know from Genesis 3 that Messiah is going to come through a Jewish woman. You know that. So guess what some of the dialogue or the hope and the expectation be of a bunch of 15, 16-year-old Jewish girls thinking about getting married one day and having kids. What do you think is one of the big things they'd be talking about? I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. Oh, no, no, you, you, you're a sinner. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. That would be the desire of women. I want to be the mother of the Messiah. And so, when we say he'll show no regard for the desire of women, meaning he'll show no, no regard for God whatsoever. That's one way to look at it. Can I give you a big stretch on the other way? Yeah, because I'm going to. <laughs> when it says he show, he'll show, here's the other way to possibly look at it. The first way, more than likely, is it. But the second way is, you'll see. 
Show no regard for the desire of women. Some people think that the Antichrist will be homosexual. They'll have no desire for women. Now, when you think about that, if you thought about that 40 years ago in America, then, nah. But if you thought about it today, and all the acceptance and the affirmation and everything, and the way things are being pushed and things are going, yeah, it's possible. It's highly possible. Because of every, everything. Look, I've already talked about this enough, so I'm going to talk about it again. No, just briefly. I mean, you look at the way things are, and um, I hated June. I honestly did. I hated turning on the TV. I hated the commercials. I hated everything coming at me. And I just didn't like it. And I know I have to watch my heart. I'm like, I'm a pastor, but it just, oh, it just, it gets me. Because it's just in your face, in your face, in your face, and in your face. I want you to think. I, I, I read this or this. Uh, this is interesting. That in the 1800s, homosexuality, it was called sodomy, guys. Which is a sin. And even criminal. Now watch society. Then somewhere, early 1900s, maybe lady, the term homosexuality came into play. Homosexuality, well, that's a condition. You see the difference? It used to be a sin. Then they changed into a condition. Oh, we're not done. Then later in the 1900s, the term gay came in. Gay is not even a condition. Gays an identity. Did you just follow what I just said there? See how they use words? They do this with everything. And when it's an identity, well, guess what? I was born this way. So how can this tell me that I'm wrong? I'm born this way. And that's how everything has been pushed. Anything you see, they always take words and terminologies and they'll start to twist them and bend them and make it acceptable, and then just put it in our face all the time, all the time. You know what's interesting to me? And I think I said this before, and if I did, forgive me for saying it again. But I just was, during the month of June, um, I, I was, as all these commercials, and my wife knows, like, I'm just tired of this commercial. I can't even watch half of HGTV House Hunters, and it's like, gosh, give me a break here. You know, and um, but it dawned on me as I was thinking about it because I like to think that um, that they scream. We just want we want our freedom to live our lives. Who's stopping them? No one's out there stopping them. That's not what they want. No, they want me to agree with them, and then also to affirm them. That's what they want. And I thought about that. And then I thought this. I don't need them to affirm me as a man. I don't need them to affirm me as you're masculine. 
I don't need them to come and say, you know, well, let's have a guy, a guy month, like I'm a guy July or something like that, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need any of that stuff. I, I know who I am. I know what I am. I don't need, I'm not insecure, but I know who I am. Then why do they need me to affirm them? Who's the insecure one in this whole thing? They are. If they truly believed it, why would they need us to affirm this? They wouldn't need it if they really truly believed it. But when you truly don't believe it and you're insecure in it, you're going to fight and tell everybody, you gotta, you got to affirm me, you got to affirm me. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm going to stick with what God says. Amen. All the way and no matter what. So the Antichrist, it's possible. It's possible that he could be almost a homosexual. We just don't know, but it's possible. Let me, let me move on. Bullet point, next one. He will spend to build up his military might. He will spend to build up his military might. In verse 38, it says he'll be, he will honor the God of fortresses. And, you know, we've all seen those documentaries and news things where you see in the Kremlin, Red Square, and all the armies of Russia marches, or in North Korea. You see how they show the big military build up? The countries do like that. Well, this is basically him. He's going to honor the God of fortresses. He's going to build up military might. He's going to need military might to try to pull off what he wants to pull off. So he's going to build up his, his, his armies. Then the next bullet point is he will be helped by Satan. And he will be helped by Satan because this is the whole thing behind the whole thing. Look at verse 39. It says, uh, he will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a what? A foreign god. Well, the foreign god is Satan. That's who many scholars believe that is. So he's going to begin to expand territory. He builds up his armies. He's motivated by Satan. It's Satan's power. And everything is going to go really, really good. I mean, really good in his campaign. And then something's going to change. And something's going to happen. Now look at verse 40. This is where things start to turn with the Sandy guys. Now look up at me again one more time. He's got his armies. They're built up. They're strong. He's on the move, okay? He's in position, he's in power. And then verse 40. At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. Him is the Antichrist. And the king of the north will storm against him. Him is the Antichrist. With chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. And he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through them. Now, what's going on here? Two armies now are going to come at him, one from the south, one from the north. As he's got his armies, he's heading toward Israel, as you'll see. The south, probably Egypt and Arabian countries, they're coming at him from here. The north, probably Russia and their armies coming at him from here. So they're going to come at him from two dimensions. But he's got massive armies himself, and he's going to go to battle, and he's going to win. He's going to drive them back. And so he's going to be successful initially in these campaigns. Now look at verse 41. It intensifies. He will enter also the beautiful land. What is the beautiful land? It's Israel. That's right. And many countries will fall. So he's militarily moving. But these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. That's really important, that statement right there. Now, verse 41, bullet point. He's, Antichrist is going to enter or invade Israel with his army. So he's coming in now. He's fighting armies to the north, fought them off, fought off the army to the south, and now he's coming into Israel. So, 
In my opinion, this is the moment because you'll see the time frames in a second. This is the, and because of Edom, Moab, etc. But this is the moment of the abomination of desolation. This is now where it takes place because he's coming to Israel. He's coming to the beautiful land and he's coming into the temple area. Keep your finger here. Now we're going to start to move around a little bit as we get near the end here. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Let's go back to Jesus' prophetic statements. Matthew 24 is Matthew's end times chapter. It's a big chapter when you're looking prophetically into the future. But watch what he says. And by the way, in case you ever want to study Matthew 24 uh, in, a, in a certain, uh, uh, to look at it correctly, um, what you do is you, um, you look at verse 1 through 14, that's end times as it relates to all the nations of the world. You look at it in that perspective. When you get to chapter 15, I'm sorry, verse 15, 15 through 36 is end times as it relates to Israel because look at the terminology in there. It's all Israeli terminology. And we'll see that in a second. And then when you get to verse uh, 37, that's end times as it relates to the church because a church, you see, one is taken, one is, you know, etc. One taken, one left, one taken, one left. That's the rapture. That's the church. You've got to break Matthew's chapter 24 that way or else you will misinterpret the chapter. And you'll start to think that everybody's part of this. And No, look at the terminologies in its breakdown. Okay, but we're not studying Matthew, so I don't have time to, to, do, to do all that for you here. Now, look at 24 verse 15. The abomination of desolation. Here comes Antichrist armies into Israel. Jesus said this prophetically a couple thousand years ago. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, has Jesus just affirmed Daniel's writings as prophetic? You better believe he just did. Standing in the holy place. So Jesus says there's an abomination standing in the holy place. He's in the holiest of holies. That's the Antichrist. He's in there. We know this in 2 Thessalonians 2. Let the reader understand. Verse 16, here's what Jesus says. When you see this happen, Israelis, then those who are in Judea, that's southern, that's Jerusalem's in Judea, must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. What group of people honors the Sabbath? The Jews. This is a Jewish, he's talking to Jews here. For then there will be a great tribulation, not tribulation, but great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Jesus said this, he says to the Jews. When you see this guy, when you see this abomination walk into the temple, then you better know that you got to get out of Dodge. Because now it's going to be worse than it's ever been. And one of the interesting things that Jesus says, he says, if you're on the housetop, what shouldn't you do? You don't go down. So how do you get out of the city? How do you flee if you don't get down off the housetop? Let me tell you what he's talking about. 
in, in Jewish people in the day, the housetops are flat. And where they would fellowship with neighbors and stuff with family, they'd go up on their flat rooftops as the day cooled down. And they'd sit out there late in the afternoon, evening, and they would talk. They could talk to their neighbor who's on their rooftop and that neighbor who's on their rooftop. If you ever watch movies from, that are done right in those time frames, you see steps on the exterior wall. You ever notice that? And that's the way they'd go up. How do you think they took the paralytic up to break through the roof? They took him up. So they'd sit up there on the rooftops. So when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, don't bother going down. Now, they had this thing in that time called the road of the roofs. This was a known thing. That if you had to get out of the city fast, that you could actually take the road of the roofs. You could jump from this roof to that roof, to that roof, to that roof, to that roof, to that roof. You could actually stay on the roofs because they were close enough and you could jump and you could get all the way out of the city. Is the way it was set up. So when Jesus says, when you see the abomination and desolation, you take the road of the roofs. Don't waste, don't go try to go down your house and get some stuff. Because when that happens, when you see that, it's going to be the worst thing that you've ever seen. And that begins the last three and a half years of the great tribulation at that moment. Now the question is, where do they run? Where are they going to go? Because he's got army. He's got a big army. And they got to get out of Dodge. Now look back over here in Daniel 11 again, because it gives you where they're going to go. In verse 41, it says, all these nations are going to fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Now, those na- he says, these areas, Antichrist, he will not occupy. He will not take. So, where are these areas? What are these areas? Well, a few of you have been there, okay? Jerry, you went to, with us. Yeah, to the, yeah you were in Jordan. These, this is Jordan. And in Jordan, the northern part, like Amman, Jordan, you know, that's up to the northern part, Ammon. And then the middle is Moab. And the southern part is Edom. In Edom, way down the south of Jordan, we went there four years ago in our extension. And well, that's where Petra is. Petra is a city carved out of solid rock. It's huge. It's incredible. I mean, it, carved out by the Nabataeans like 3rd century B.C., and it fulfilled one of my lifetime, dream, lifetime dreams. I, I wanted to go. I wanted to see Petra because I knew they're going to run there. Many people believe they're going to run there. As you go into Petra, remember as we went in there, how it's very narrow. You can't send a big army through there. And the walls shoot up, oh my gosh, solid rock. So a few people can fight off an army because it's very, it's narrow. It's, uh, it's maybe from you, Richard, to maybe about, maybe about right here, maybe. That's about how wide it is as you're going in. And so you can hold off armies in that respect. They're going, many people, including myself, believe the Jews are going to run there. That's where they're going to flee from the Antichrist. And they're going to go, his armies cannot chase through there. And so those areas will be safe. Now, Let's take it a step further in this vein. Keep your finger here. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Now watch what John the Revelator writes about this possibility. When you're there, say, I'm there. Now, look at verse 4. It says, 
And this, and by the way, uh, of chapter 12, uh, um, chapter 12 is what's called a parenthetical chapter. It's, um, it's kind of inserted in the middle of everything else going on in tribulation. And it's parenthetical in that it covers a vast amount of time through history. All the way back to the angels uh, falling and becoming demons and Satan kicked out. So it's, parent, it's called parenthetical. Uh, look at verse 4. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And that's where we believe that possibly one third of the angels followed Lucifer, right? From this verse right here. It's a possibility from that. And the dragon, that's Satan, stood before the woman. The woman is, is Israel, who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. He wants to kill the Messiah Jesus, does he not? And that's what he wants to do. Verse 5. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's the ascension of Jesus Christ right there. Verse 6. Then the woman fled. Here it is. History's moving, 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 moving. Then the woman fled in the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there, so there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. Remember, their calendar they used, lunar, not solar. Their months are 30 days. They didn't have the solar light, understand, like we do. So John's writing from what he understands, it's, it'd be that many days, okay? Three and one half years. So this takes place at the three and a half year marker, and they're going to go there, and they're going to be okay and safe for three and a half years. Many people, I'm one included, believes this is a pointer towards Petra, where they're going to run, where the Antichrist has, was not to be able, able to take it. Now look at verse 13 in the same chapter. Watch this. It goes on. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. It picks up on the, the event. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, to Israel, so that she could fly into the wilderness, the desert, to her place, where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the present of the serpent. Look at me. A time, a times, and a half a time. How many? Three and a half? Three and a half years. You see it right there? And so you see they're running for that time. Let's read on verse 15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman. So he's chasing her so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman. So Satan's angry, Antichrist is angry with the woman. And he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and to hold the testimony of Jesus. Notice the earth helps the fleeing woman, the fleeing Israelites. And the earth is Petra. It helps them. This place is reserved for them. Built by the Nabataeans, 3rd century BC. This is where they're going to go. It's an incredible event. Now, back to Daniel. Look at verse 11. Let me keep going on this one. 42 says, Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. So now he's going to go after other countries. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Does he continue to conquer other nations? Yes. He cannot get Israel, but he's going after them. 
other nations. Verse 44. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. Okay. <clears throat> Bullet point. Armies gather for a major battle. Armies gather for a major battle. Okay, so he's, he's going after countries. He's going after them with everything he's got. It says, verse 44, but rumors from the east. In Revelation, you could write this first down, Revelation 16 and verse 12. They're called the kings of the east there. And the kings of the east, we'll read about them in a few seconds. They're coming. They're coming. And China, we know in our lifetime, has a massive army. Biggest army in the world. And they're not afraid. But it says also from the north. Another army from the north. Didn't he already defeat the Russians earlier? Army from the north? Okay. I want you to think about this. Because we've not covered this thing here. I think that this northern army, this Russian army, and I say I think because it's, you know, every time you say it's absolutely this, then you're proven wrong because prophecy is not the easiest thing in the world. And I'm not pretending to, to know everything absolutely the way it is. But this seems to be to me the regrouped, rebuilt Russian army coming after him again. What do you mean regrouped, rebuilt? Anybody here familiar with the book of Ezekiel? In Ezekiel, there's an amazing prophecy. You need to read it. Chapter 38, but back up to about 36 and read on those three chapters. Read it when you have time. There's a big war going to take place. At some point, I don't know when, I used to think it was right before the rapture, during the rapture, right after the rapture. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. And some people make that Armageddon. I don't think it is because of the time frames of what they're doing after that major battle. But Israel's going to be invaded. By, you've ever heard of Gog and Magog? The Scythians, ancient Scythians, that area is the Russian area. They're going to invade. But it also names all these other countries. And if you look on ancient maps and take the names, because, you know, names change, right? I mean, remember, we, some of you drive a Nissan, but it wasn't always Nissan. What it used to be? Datsun. Names change. And country names change. So, if you read about all the nations that are going to invade Israel in that particular battle, it's the Russian area, it's all the Arabian nations, they're coming from North Africa, they're coming at Israel. And it's going to be a massive battle. Now, we know that Israel's motto from the days of Masada is, Masada will never fall again. In other words, if you're going to take us down, guess what we're going to do? We're going to take you down too. We're not going to play. We're just not going to play. And so many believe, I believe it too, it's going to be a nuclear war because Israel's not going to play. 
And they're going to be surrounded. These armies are coming, and Israel's going to win that war. They're going to win that massive battle. In your King James Version, if you use the King James, in there it will state that five-sixths of the armies that come at them will die on the mountains in Israel. And as you read afterwards what they're going to be doing with the dead bodies and cleaning things up and how long it takes and burning the, the weapons for fuel, you realize, at least in my opinion, that it cannot be Armageddon. It's got to be somewhere earlier. I don't know where, but, and, but like I said, some people will tell you it's Armageddon and everybody's on the same team, so, you know, fine, okay, whatever. But that's a big battle. But now we come here where I just read the regrouped, what I think is the regrouped army of the Russians from the north. And they're come back now. And here they are. Quite, now think, think, think. They think they're coming there to fight each other, right? They're not. That's what they think, though. But that's not what they're doing. They're coming there into the valley of Armageddon. They think they're coming to fight each other. But they're going to come, and they're going to, they're going to, it's going to happen there. Now, look at verse 45. He will pitch tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. This is where Antichrist meets his end. This is where it all falls apart. Now, the question is, where is here? He meets his end. Where is that? Where's it all going to happen at? Well, turn to Revelation 16. You're not coming back to Daniel. We're done there. Look at Revelation chapter 16. And I know I'm, I'm giving you a, like a, a fast feed on Revelation. And I hate to do that, but I've got to do it to finish this chapter. Look at Revelation 16. Where is here? Where does this happen at? Look at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Remember that? There they come. Now, how are they going to walk over a dried up Euphrates? Well, in 1990, they completed the Ataturk Dam. They can dry up the Euphrates now. In our lifetime, that happened. The prophecy is there, and now it's in place for it to happen. Isn't that wild? Verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Do you see the unholy trinity? Dragon, Satan, Antichrist is, uh, Antichrist, he's trying to be the, the equal to Jesus, and the false prophet is trying to be the equal to the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy trinity. Three unclean spirits like frogs. Verse 14. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. So they think they're coming there to fight each other, but instead they're being brought there and lured in for this massive battle. Wild. Verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon, which means Mount Megiddo, Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air 
and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. That's the one in heaven, guys. The earthly temple is a replica of the one in heaven. Did you know that? It's a replica. And the, it is, and, and the voice says, it is it's done. It's over. It's finished. And so here's where Armageddon takes place. This valley, well, it sits, if you look at the Sea of Galilee, it sits, and here's the Mediterranean, it sits right in here. Mount Carmel, Sea of Galilee, it's a valley, it's a valley of Armageddon. We, if you remember Mount Carmel, when you're on Mount Carmel, you get to see this valley, a lot of it. You also, when you go to Megiddo, to Solomon's Stables, you get to see a lot of it too. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you about this, because it's really crazy or interesting. Look at chapter 14. There's a last thought for tonight. Now watch this. Verse 19. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Okay. What's talking about here is this Jezreel Valley where this battle is going to take place. Many battles in history have been fought there. It's like 180 to 200 miles in length. John says there'll be so much carnage in the battle of Armageddon that the carnage and the blood and everything will be up to the horse's bridle. They speculate about four feet deep. There'll be so much death. There'll be so many people that die there for 200 miles. It'll be that much. But that's where it all ends. That's where it comes to its conclusion. And the Antichrist is defeated because Jesus has come in the second coming. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, the great thing is we win. The bad thing is that so many people follow the wrong lead. But thank you that we do win. Thank you that the Antichrist, an evil dictator like no dictator before him, thank you, he's de- thank you that he's defeated. Unless the days were shortened, you said no life would be saved because he would have exterminated every one of us. And so we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.